0: or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za It's so good to be back with you this Sunday. And it's just so wonderful to see the church full and, and seeing so many of your faces all back together again. And I just wanted to thank you for all the ways you've been praying for me and for my family. As you know, for the last couple of weeks, I've not been able to, to be here uh, preaching to you because of COVID. And so recovering from long COVID is what they call it. Uh, but by God's grace, here I am today. And we're starting our series on hope. And so I'm thankful for the way you guys have been praying and supporting us through all of this. Now, let me just uh, encourage you by saying that it is, it is an absolute blessing that we get to open God's Word in these difficult times. We should not underestimate the power of God's Word when we gather as His people. And it's clear and it's evident that we live in uncertain and desperate times. You would agree with me. Our days appear to be gloomy, dark and kind of depressing... And for many people, today feels the same as yesterday, and we expect tomorrow to be kind of the same thing. I mean, if you look at this last year, it's like this time has just been mushed together into this one ball of uncertainty and darkness. And it doesn't look like there's going to be lights anytime soon. And it's evident that people are genuinely suffering. You look around you, you see it's evident, it's obvious, where people are losing loved ones. They're losing their jobs, financial security. I now even some people have personal relationships that are being affected and are suffering because of your commitment to Christ and His Word. And through all of this, God's people are trying to live for Jesus in this difficult time. Where Christians are supposed to be the light to the world around us. But we all agree, it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming time. And believers along with the rest of the world, that we, we feel anxious fearful, and even depressed. As we recognize that we come out of the season where the church has not been able to to gather like we would like. Where the church kind of has to fight for uh, the doors to remain open, in a sense. And then it doesn't help if you turn on the news and you listen to all the headlines and you read of men that we've looked up for years and years in their ministry towards Jesus being you know, being described as perversion and sexual sin and that just all adds to the discouragement and then we look at our own lives and we see now we've grown in our sin in this lockdown period, this period of isolation and now we have to fight for holiness even harder. And so we have to wonder, is there any hope that things are going to get better? And maybe the hope is this new vaccination, right? Well, maybe it was for one week and then they figure out this thing is not as effective as it should be. And that is why we have to slow down and think about what true hope we have as Christians in all this chaos. Because biblical hope is very different from the empty hope of this world. I mean, the world is constantly putting its trust and hope in things that's only going to fail us. And so we're going to take some time over this next month to consider what the Bible has to teach about true biblical hope. What biblical hope Christians have, and how does that change the way we live our lives? Now, the reality is if you are reading your Bible and you see the, the whole story of God is actually one story of glorious hope. Because ever since we got kicked out of the garden, out of the kingdom of God. We've been hoping our way back in, haven't we? To be with God in a place where there's no more suffering, no more sin, no more kind of sadness. And one thing the Old Testament clearly teaches us is that biblical hope is rooted in God. Because of what God has promised and how He acts to fulfill those promises. I mean, look at the Israelites. And when you look at the way they lived their lives, you see their hope was not simply wishful thinking. It was a solid, certain hope because of Yahweh, their God. Because wishful thinking is this empty version of hope. The empty hope of this world. It's when someone says, Well, I hope my business is not going to suffer because of this pandemic. Or I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. And the thing is, there's no basis or any kind of confidence or assurance that, a guarantee that it's not going to happen the way we hope for. Because biblical hope is different. Why? Because it's a certain hope. It's a guaranteed hope. God was there for the basis, the foundation, you could say, for the Israelites' hope. Because of His character, who He is. And as you read the book of Exodus, for example, you see that God shows us how He is the basis for any hope. And hearing His people cry out for deliverance, saving them from slavery, and then what does He do? He makes His promise with them. He actually binds Himself to them. Because God is committed to His people. And His promises never fail. And so because they belong to Him and because He is trustworthy, they can confidently hope in Him. And so the Old Testament then elaborates and teaches us that we can hope in God because of His steadfast love. Because of His mercy. Because of His faithfulness. I mean, read your Old Testament. I mean, even in the depressing book like Lamentations. Have you ever read Lamentations? What a depressing book. But even in that book, there's hope. Lamentations 3.22 puts it like this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then what does the writer do? He concludes in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. And now since true hope is connected with God and what He is doing in saving His people, we see that one of the earliest promises in the Bible regarding the the blessing of all nations to the earth through the seed of Abram, now this becomes a significant promise, doesn't it? Because you know the story of God and Abram. Because first in Genesis, you know, this promises is associated with a, a future king who shall be descended from the tribe of Judah. And so as you read your Old Testament, the, the book of Samuel and Kings reveal that hope for this universal blessing to all the world is a later tied to this man called David. Another man who had a special relationship with God. But even David sins in perverted ways. And it's so discouraging. And we see this continues to be the pattern in the Bible to the extent that the action of David's descendants, his sons and all the kings after him, bring up judgment on themselves. And so even the Davidic dynasty is removed from the throne and people are taken into exile out of the promised land again and you wonder, is there any hope? Is there any hope that we will ever be back in the garden with God? And then in comes the prophets. And they present this wonderful kind of hope by pointing people back to the past and what God has done. And also importantly, to the future. The future that sees the throne of David restored by one of his descendants. And now we see that biblical hope is centered on this true messianic king that will come, which the whole Old Testament is preparing us for. And so when we come to the New Testament, we see this, this king arrive on the scene. But not in the way that people expected, is it? People are wanting this mighty king that will rescue us and get us back in the kingdom of God. But what happens instead? You have this man from Nazareth, from the line of David, and he ends up on a cross. But that's not all there is to the story. Because the writers of the New Testament, they then build on this foundation of hope that has already been laid in the Old Testament. The foundation of who God is and what He has done. For example, in Romans 15, verses 9 to 12, Paul quotes from the Old Testament to indicate the place which Gentiles, that's you and me, were to have as part of God's people and this overall plan to get us back in the garden. Because it's not just Israel who's going to get back in the garden. God has made a way for us to be there as well. And Paul's final quotation is from Isaiah 11 verse 10, where it closes with the statement, In Him shall the Gentiles hope. Romans 15 verse 12. And then the same word hope is used in, uh, by the Apostle in the very next verse in, in this prayer that to the, to the God of hope. The God of hope who will fill the church with joy and peace. Now, from another angle, as you keep reading the New Testament, you consider some other passages in the Bible. And Timothy is urged and gives this charge, warning the rich and the wealthy not to do what? Not to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Because wealth and money, you could say, is the foundation of sinking sin. It's not going to support genuine hope. It's going to crumble in times of adversity and it can be taken away in an instant and we've seen how that's happened in this pandemic. It's not going to last into the future. And so essentially, all of Scripture is making it clear that God alone is the solid foundation for our hope. But then you come to the book of First Peter. That's our book for this next month. Now, Peter, as you know, he also was someone with a unique relationship with Christ. And this first letter is one that is very important because the letter of 1 Peter helps us understand how believers are to hope in the midst of suffering. And we know Peter, he was an apostle. I mean, in fact, they call him the Apostle of Hope. And he was a very prominent man in the early days of Christianity. I mean, he's named first usually of all the apostles in in the Bible, and he was clearly an influential man in the New Testament times. But honestly, one thing I really appreciate about Peter, I think, is because there's someone that we can relate to. You know? We can see a bit of ourselves in this man Peter. Think of his behavior. The one who just says what he thinks and does what he thinks. And then Jesus has to kind of reel him back like a, a good fisherman. Peter, eager to follow Jesus like any new believer. The one who makes big commitments, but he doesn't follow through with them. The one who's first to jump out of the, the boat and wants to walk on water, but as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, and when trouble comes along the way, he sinks. His lack of faith causes him to sink. And he's the one who turned, and we said it already, the one who turned and denied Christ, who deserted Christ while he was being crucified. But this is Peter, the one who in the end came to fully depend on Christ. Who experienced this restoration of Christ. And the one who came to understand the amazing implications of what it means to hope in Christ in times of suffering. And he's the author that's going to be used by God in this letter. And he's going to show us that because of God's great mercy for sinners... True salvation comes with a living hope. And a living hope which is certain because of Jesus rising from the dead. Which comes with this lasting inheritance. An inheritance which is securely protected by God's power through faith. Until Jesus comes to take us home. A hope that leads to action. Knowing how to worship God in times of suffering. So if you haven't already, please take it your Bibles and we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and I'm going to read the first 13 verses but we're only going to focus on verses 3 to 5. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, verse 6. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, have not, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Verse 13, Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. And being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so simply today, we want to know from verses 3 to 5, why do suffering Christians worship and hope in God? Why do suffering Christians worship and hope in God? And the answer is, because our future is is certain. Our future is certain. And according to Peter, Christians worship and hope in God because firstly, we know our hope is alive, verse 3. We know we have a guaranteed inheritance, verse 4. And we know we are guarded by God's power, verse 5. Because Peter is writing at a time where Christians desperately needed hope. He's writing to Christians, those who are scattered all over this area of what we call modern day Turkey, this Roman Empire, and they are suffering because of the very fact that they are Christians. They're facing oppositions from the Romans, this pagan world around them and in so many different ways, and they were hated, abused, falsely accused, they had a lack of finances and resources. I mean, these guys were genuinely poor. And their circumstances didn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. And so they were wondering, is there any hope for us? And one thing Peter does in the beginning of this letter is to refer to them as being strangers or aliens. This is what other translations say. In our text it says elect exiles. Because Peter wants to remind them that this world is not their home. Right at the beginning he wants them to know that their home is in heaven. Their home was back in the garden with God. They were citizens of heaven through faith in Christ. And because they were strangers of this world, in the eyes of those around them, they seemed to be strange people. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Like you just don't belong with those around you, even your family, as you're living for Jesus in this fallen world. Because the audience of Peter had a different Christian standard and values to all those around them, which means not only will they suffer for that, but actually they had an opportunity, an opportunity to live in a way that could make a defense for the hope that was within them. First Peter three verse fifteen. But in order to make such a defense, they had to be reminded of what it means to follow Christ, where to direct their hope. A hope that enables them to keep their minds and hearts under control. To be able to hope to the end. To have a hope that stands the test of time. No matter what their circumstances were. And so Peter does what the prophets did in the Old Testament. He wants to direct these suffering believers' attention to the future. So that they know how they can live with worship in their present circumstances. He wants to praise God for knowing that believers... Their future is certain. And Firstly, number one, the first thing He wants them to know is that their hope is alive. Their hope is alive. Christians can worship God in times of suffering because our hope is alive. That's verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to see that our hope is alive. Peter starts by pointing out that God is the main character in this section. Do you see it? Because again like in the Old Testament, he is the source of our hope. He is to be worshiped because he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just the intimate description of God being a father, but this is actually a significant theological title because you know, the authors of the New Testament use this title for him as well. And Peter wants his readers to keep in mind that God the Father is one with God the Son. Because something significant has happened in how we understand who God is. Because He's not simply the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's not just the Old Testament God. No, Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament said, right? He is the hope and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Because the Bible teaches us hope became man and stepped into this world, this hopeless world. Hope lived and ministered among broken people. Hope went to the cross and died and hope rose again from the grave so that we can know God intimately and personally. And while Peter is naming Jesus Christ is Lord, which is another important title for Jesus, he's reminding his audience that the Roman emperor, this guy is not Lord. Even though he thinks he is. And because they don't follow him, but rather Jesus as their King and Lord, they will be seen as strangers to everyone around them. And so because of Jesus, there's now this radical change in our relationship with God. We go from being enemies of God to being children of God. And how did this happen? Well, Peter says, according to His great mercy. Peter wants him to gain some perspective again. And the right perspective that you need to remember is what God has done for you in Christ. And it's sad because sometimes we get so used to how we understand the mercy of God. But think about it again with me for a moment, because this word mercy describes the pity and the compassion that God has for the, for the miserable and the hopeless. And all throughout Scripture, we see God taking the initiative to, to move towards sinners first. To hear their groaning and take compassion on them and to help them. I mean, we think of a, an obvious example there in Matthew 15 with Jesus. We know so well how he was filled with tenderness and compassion when he saw all these hungry people and then he took the initiative to provide fish and bread for them. And they didn't deserve it. Yet he provided it for them. But how often do we go through our weeks these days and we hear someone say, I don't think it's fair. Or we don't deserve this. No one has it as bad as I do. But we have to stop and realize that it is God's great mercy that we have anything at all. But look at it again, because it is His great mercy that we have been given something absolutely remarkable. That is more than just a few loaves of bread and some fishes, because which is what? The new birth. His great mercy has caused us to be born again. And that's what born again means. It means that you're given new spiritual life. And why would someone need life? Because it's obvious, right? It's because they're dead. And I like how one man says it. He says, the hopeful message of the gospel in these dark days is not that you are lost and you need direction. It's not that you're weak and you need strength. The hopeful message of the gospel reminds us that you need life because you were dead. Ephesians 2.4, Paul says it this way, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And believers, we praise God because of His great mercy. Because He has given us new life in Christ. Because here's the reality if you are a true believer. He has taken you from the graveyard of hopelessness and He has resurrected you with Christ and now you are able to live a life with everlasting hope. Do you believe that? Do you see yourselves like that? He has changed your very status before God. From a hopeless enemy of God to be a loved child of God. Peter writes, actually later in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Remember, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And unless that change has taken place, where you've gone from the realm of hopelessness to life in Christ, you are hopeless. Whether you have all the money in the world, Without the new birth, you are hopeless. With all the intellect and skills and talents and knowledge in the world, without the new birth, you are hopeless. With all the power and authority that you think you might have in this world, without the new birth, you are hopeless. This last year we have seen how all of these things can be taken away in an instant. It's gone. And then what are you left with? when everything else is stripped away, because it's only those who have come to see you were dead in your sins and how hopeless you are yourself, and you've cried out to God for deliverance, trusting in Jesus and what He has done for you, then this new life comes with a new hope. And Peter calls it a living hope. A living hope. A hope that is alive. Peter is saying in the silent moment, to all these readers in this moment of despair, praise God, praise God. We can worship God and hope in God while we are suffering because our hope is alive. This new hope we see the author of Hebrews calls the anchor of the soul. Hebrews six nineteen. But Let me just read for you from verse 17 because this, this is actually so good. He writes, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose. So just listen to everything it says about God here. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have this as assurance that Paul's anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf. And so I love what the author of Hebrews is saying here because our hope is in the guaranteed promises of God, which is proven security and stability for the soul. Because Jesus has entered as our forerunner into the Father's presence. He's made a way for us to enter into God's presence with confidence. And so we cast that anchor into the future. This hope is steady while it's living. Why? Well, Peter says, because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I like this contrast between death and life here. Because what does this show us? It reminds us that because Jesus lives, we too shall live. John 14, 19. Because Jesus is alive, you know He will be with you when you die. Because Jesus is alive, you know He will be waiting for you after you die. And because Jesus lives, so do you. Even when your circumstances seem so dead, And so hopeless. And we have to recognize that apart from the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus, we have no valid basis for believing in any kind of existence beyond death. There is no hope for the stranger and the aliens living in this fallen world, seeking the one to come if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But, and that is a big but, But because He has returned from the other side of the grave, we have a new life and a living hope. And so think about it. The world, it can take everything from you. Your house, your family, even your own life. But it can't take away your hope. And imagine what it was like for these people living in scattered and exiled, wondering if the Romans are going to bash down their doors and take their kids away. At any moment. Take their wives away. Abuse them. Even take their lives away. And the reality is even in times like that there is hope. Why? Why is there hope? Because our hope is linked to the one who suffered himself and defeated death and now lives and promises to be with us until we go to be with Him forever. And perhaps you sit here and you know all these things, that Jesus rose from the dead. But when you think about your own death, you are still filled with fear and anxiety. I know that's where many people have been lately. I know I was one of them. But just knowing the facts about Jesus' life and death is not enough. You must know Him intimately. Because then only can you have the courage to face scary things like death when it comes your way and you put all your faith and all your trust in Him and what He has done and what He has promised. Isn't that what our brother Dumi said just a week ago? So Peter is worshipping and he wants to make it clear. If your God is alive, your hope is alive. But that's not all. Not only does God cause us to be born again to a living hope, He gives us so much more. Because not only is our hope alive by the grace of God because of new life in Him. Believers can worship and hope in God, number two, because we know we have a guaranteed inheritance. We have a guaranteed inheritance, verse 4. And you would think that this reality of new life in Christ, that, that would kind of be enough, right? But God knows how we stumble along the way. He knows the pressures we are under as Christians. And so He doesn't stop there. Through Peter, He wants to show us that there's more to this living room. Because firstly, He makes us look back to what God has given us in the past. Salvation in verse 3. And now He makes us look forward to what God will guarantee us in the future. Verse 4. Because when you become a child of God... God promises you a great inheritance. If you're an heir of God, you're going to get a godly inheritance. This is verse 4. Essentially Peter saying, Salvation comes with a living hope that leads to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you and I know this is one of the key ways we are able to keep going in this life, is it not? when everything around us seems to be falling apart, God wants us to keep our eyes focused not on this world, but on the one to come. But what exactly is it that we should focus on? What is this guarantee we have? Because Peter says it's an inheritance like no other inheritance. Because if you've been reading your Old Testament again, you know inheritance sounds a lot like the promised land of Canaan to the Israelites, right? Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 says, But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. Well, we know that inheritance was taken away, wasn't it? Because of failing to trust God's promises. But when you read the New Testament, you see there's this stark contrast between the inheritance of land and this future inheritance Peter and the others are talking about because the inheritance of the new testament christian is infinitely more than just a piece of land it takes on much greater significance because it's not about how god's people will be identified and tied to this location of canaan no this inheritance is tied to christ to christ ephesians 1:11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purposes of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And unlike earthly inheritances, you know, when a dad leaves some money or property or life assets for his children and all these things, you know they don't last. In fact, we see here on earth how people can actually get pretty violent and abusive over an inheritance. How people can waste it all away. But Peter says this future inheritance is different. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now think about what this means. Your inheritance, if you're a child of God, is imperishable. That means it cannot be spoiled. Think about food, you know. Even long life milk, if it's left too long in the pantry, it's going to spoil and go sour. Your inheritance in heaven cannot be spoiled. It doesn't have an expiry date on it. Then he says your inheritance is undefiled. That means it's unstained. It's untouched by sin. Sin cannot make it unclean ever again. Like when your dad gives you this amazing car, you know, like this old sports car or something, and you polish that thing and you take care of it and you restore it to all its former glory. But as soon as you drive out, there's dirt on the car, there's stones that hit it, cracks the windshield, and it's stained. Your inheritance, believer, is guaranteed to never again be stained by the sin of this world and be defiled by it. And then the last word Peter uses here to describe this kind of inheritance is unfading. It's unfading. That means it can't lose its original status or the appearance over time. Now even think about when something's left out in the sun. Stuff tends to fade away. Even our sign out front here in the church. If you come back in a couple of years I'm sure you'll see that the colors are faded away. But your eternal inheritance will never fade away. And so do you see this inheritance that Peter talks about points to a full and final deliverance from the curse of sin and all its devastating effects? Which is pretty amazing, right? Because that's exactly what we want. Something that is perfectly permanent. And so here it is. Here's the radical implication of the gospel then. Hamilton said it earlier. Hope is not a situation. Hope is not a location. Hope is not a possession. Hope is not just this radical experience. Because hope is a person. And His name is Jesus. In this world, everything else perishes, gets defiled, and fades away. And if you hope on those, those things... You are hopeless. But here we have an inheritance, Jesus Himself, that is unchanging. He's permanent and He never loses His supernatural glory. Even down in verse 24 of chapter 1, Peter says, "With the grass and the flower of the grass that withers and fades away. Another author says, we have an inheritance that will never be touched by death, stained by evil, or faded with time. It is death proof, sin proof, and time-proof. And where is this inheritance kept? Well, I like how other translations put it as well. They say, where is it reserved? It's reserved in heaven for you. And so as we go through this life and we encounter trial after trial and we have to deal with all the suffering and pain and sin, we wonder sometimes, will we make it to that final inheritance? I mean, think about it. You've been given this amazing gift from someone. You get this message from a friend. He says to you, you can go on this holiday. You can take all my RCI points. You can go to this place. you got my holiday. Just show up. And it's yours. This paid for holiday. It's yours. It's done. And you're like, oh, that sounds great. And it's a hard road to get there because it's out there in the bundus. But it's this amazing holiday that waits for you. And you wonder, even as you drive there, is my name actually going to be on the reservation when I get there? Because now all I have is this text message from a friend. Peter doesn't want you to think like that. Because no one else can take your reservation. Because Christ has guaranteed your inheritance. And it's not because of anything you've done... This inheritance is preserved and reserved for you in the safest place there ever is and ever will be. Which is where? In heaven for the believing church. And so think about it. No one can ever get in there to take what is yours in Christ. And yes, the devil is going to try and make you doubt this. Your fight against sin and your fight for holiness is going to make you doubt this. But Peter says, Worship and hope in God because you know He saved you. You know your union with Christ means your hope is alive because He is alive. And because you know your inheritance is permanent and guaranteed, waiting for you in heaven. So this gives us courage and strength. But again, as we go through suffering and trials, we sometimes struggle to believe all that. It just, I mean, honestly, it just sounds too good to be true. You might think this gift of salvation and in my inheritance is amazing. But it doesn't always seem real to you. And Peter says, hang on. Hang on. He says, praise God and hope in God. Because here's number three. Because we know we are guarded by God's power. Verse five. We are, we know we are guarded by God's power. He says, kept in heaven for you, end of verse 4, and then in verse 5, who, that's you, by Christians, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter is saying in the the midst of all that you are going through, look up and recognize that God has got you covered. He saved you in the past. He's going to give you this inheritance in the future and He's going to guard you in the present right now you will make it to that inheritance because God's power is guarding you and guarding brings this amazing picture of what it looks like when we're in danger and this military comes in to protect us and it's the same word that Jesus uses in his prayer in John seventeen twelve, when he says while I was with them I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them and none of them has been lost That's the same word Paul uses in Philippians 4 when he says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so think about what an encouragement this is because if you feel like you're losing everything, to be told there's something that no one can take from you, that should cause us to worship in times of suffering. It's yours. It's secure. No one can take it away from you so let me just try and say this as simple as i can no matter how badly you mess up in this world or how how hard your circumstances might be right now if you are a true repentant believing child of god god will not disinherit you you can't lose this hope and this inheritance and how can we say it so confidently Because our all-powerful God is the one doing the guarding. He's the one that saved you. He's the one who's going to get you home. And how does He do so? How does He do it? Well, Peter says, through His power and through faith. And so you think, well, what if I fall away somehow and stop believing? What then? Well, that's not going to happen. Because it says that you are protected by the power of God through faith. And as one man says, God doesn't guard, protect, secure and keep us apart from faith or whether we believe or not. But He keeps us through faith, the very faith that He gave us when we were saved. Because you have been saved by grace through faith, which is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, Ephesians 2. So your faith... Will because the faith that He gave you, that saved you, is an enduring faith. Saving faith is an enduring faith. And you have that faith if you are a true child of God. And His power will guard you, that faith. Ephesians 1, 13 to 13-14 goes on to say, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him... We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so not only do we find encouragement in knowing that my faith will make it to the end because it's never been about how much I believe or how good I am. It's always been about Christ and what He's done and what He keeps on doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even through trials and suffering, true saving faith will last under the pressures of life. It will turn to God and find strength in His forgiveness and grace. And God in His kindness shows us there's a timeline connected to all of this. you see it? There's a timeline connected because He's going to guard us through faith till when? To the end, when Jesus comes back, guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is going to keep us safe until we get to that full, final salvation when Jesus comes back. Well, and this shows us our hope is alive in times of suffering because we are not going to suffer forever. There's an end date to this time of suffering. When all is falling apart, heaven is there. God has got you covered. He's got you. His kingdom is coming. And He made promises and He keeps His promises. We hope in a God who cannot lie, the author of Hebrews said. And as John paints a picture for us in the New Testament, he paints this beautiful picture of what is to come in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now, until that time, we are going to face challenges. There's going to be tears, and there's going to be trials. But God will restore what is broken. He did it with Peter. If you're a Christian, He's doing it with you. And He's been doing it ever since Adam and Eve didn't trust Him. And He knows ever since the fall, we struggle to believe His promises. And so He sent His Son that through the power of the Holy Spirit He gives us the ability to believe His promises. And to trust Him for that future. And He binds Himself to us once again but in a much more significant way. Through Jesus and everything He's done and His life, His death and resurrection. And His plan of fixing all things and Directing us forward to a time where everything will be made right. John writes again about the future. And we ask, John, what do you see? And he says, Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. Well, what else, John? Tell me more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And John is like, oh, that's, that's amazing stuff. But let me tell you more. I heard some stuff as well. Well, what did you hear, John? I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place with God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And you're like, I want to live with God like that. That's where I want to be. And John says, but wait, there's more. There's more. And like, well, How can there be more? He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. The curse is done. Neither shall be the mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Believer, your suffering is not forever. There's going to be a time where you will see clearly that God has always been there. Even if you didn't always believe that in those dark moments. In Christ, there is always hope. And so how and why can Christians worship and hope in God in times of suffering? Because our future is certain. Peter says it's because we know we have a living home. And knowing that my hope is alive helps me to not live like those who are hopeless. Like those who are without Christ. Where I feel sorry for myself and feel there's nothing to live for anymore. When I fight those feelings of depression, where I complain about my circumstances all the time. Not only do we look forward we look back and see what God has done in saving us. And that is one thing we constantly have to do in difficult times. Look back and see what great mercy God has shown us in Christ. But not only do we look back, we look forward as well. We look forward to this amazing inheritance that God is securing for us in the the most secure place In the world. And this helps us as we go through all these painful experiences and we turn the fear of what is unknown into a worship of what we do know. In this fallen world, there's people who face poverty, disease, hunger, injustice, disaster. And in these times, we need a living hope. Paul says, therefore, we do not give up even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is, see, what is unseen is eternal. so we have to stop and think what is it that we put our hope in right now let me ask you what is it that you're putting your hope in right now, is it your finances is it other people is it your career, your family your friends, and it's good to ask ourselves, when the pressure is on, where do I turn what am I trusting in, what am I hoping in is it Christ? Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Are you perhaps trusting in yourself? Some are thinking that it is up to you to get you to the end. Believer, we can worship God in suffering because He has given you faith. And He's guarding you and He's he's got you covered. And as we think about all this incredible truth, it helps us not to be anxious. It helps us not to be afraid. It helps us to hope in the God of hope. Because that's where biblical hope does. Biblical hope understands that we all deserve to die. But instead we have this guaranteed promise of life. Eternal life because of who God is and He never lies. He made a promise in the past. The cross of Jesus proves that. And He's going to do the same in the future. And the Bible tells us clearly in Ephesians 2.12 that those who do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have hope. And perhaps that's you today. Listening to all this talk about hope and you don't know this kind of hope I'm talking about. You need to come to Jesus And ask for His forgiveness for your many sins. And believe that His death paid the price for your sins. And that the resurrection is your guarantee that you also will live forever. Because this is the promise that Jesus makes to you. John 5 verse 24. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Will you by faith grab hold of the promises of God? Because true believers are blessed with a real, substantial hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By the power of God's word and then dwelling Holy Spirit, our future is certain. Praise God for a living hope. Let's pray. Father, indeed, it is overwhelming to think of how much you have given us in Christ. This text of Peter, he shows us, takes us back, and he shows us, it's because of your great mercy that we are now called your children. And as your children, you give us this amazing, wonderful, guarded, certain, guaranteed inheritance. And Father, we know that as we go through this life, it's hard. It's difficult. And we look to so many different things sometimes to put our hope in. But may you, through your word and through your spirit, just challenge us again this week to find our hope only in Christ. And in Christ alone. He is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory to be with Him forever. And so Father, even as this time on earth seems so long, in fact it is actually very short compared to eternity. This time of suffering right now is not the end. We have a glorious future because of what Christ has done. I pray that You would help us believe these things by faith. Guard us as you promise. In Jesus' name.